Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week 8, day 3 of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 19, 1-16. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God. Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to know you more through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's go ahead and jump into God's word. We'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 19, starting in verse 1. The second lot came for the tribe of Simeon according to its clans. Their inheritance lay within the territory of Judah. It included, colon, and pause. Uh, Let's go ahead and look at this on the map first so you can kind of get an idea of what it's talking about. Almost every map shows that the tribe of Simeon is, as it says, located within the area of Judah. And so these towns all are kind of within this region. Some people will just say they're kind of scattered throughout Judah, but there is kind of a region here that includes Simeon. And as we look at some of the towns, we know that actually even my map here, what I've got, it should probably kind of be further over this way, right? So Simeon would probably really be that area right there. Um, Clear as mud on my maps here. It's it's probably a little bit bigger than what I have there just because of some of the towns that it's including. But with that, let's go ahead and jump back into it. This is continuing verse 2. It included Beersheba, or Sheba, Molada, Hazar Shual, Bela, Ezem, Eltolad, Bethul, Hormah, Ziklag, Beth Markaboth, Hazar Susa, Beth Lebeoth, and Sharuhin, 13 towns and their villages. I want to pause right there because I want to point out something, and, and this is something that's very easy to know just biblically without knowing archaeologically and geographically, but biblically we, we can know this, is it tells us that one of the towns of Simeon is Ziklag. And we happen to know that this is the town that the king of Gath, the Philistine king of Gath, gives to David when he kind of pretends like he's defecting to the Philistines against Saul. And and if you want to know more about what I mean by pretends to be defecting, go and listen to or read the study guide on the 10 week Bible study on the book of first Samuel, because all of that's in there. He was pretending. And so we know that Ziklag is within the tribe of Simeon. David is given that town as an inheritance. He's given it uh, for he and kind of his band of raiding men by the king of Gath, the Philistine king of Gath. So we know that, you know, the Philistines held this territory for a long time. But he's given this town. Now, we know that there are five walled cities of the Philistines. Gath is one of them. Ziklag was not really one of the walled cities. Now, maybe it had like a wall or a smaller wall, but it's not going to be like one of these built up defensible cities. And so it it talks about the towns and villages. And so, again, I want to point out that when we look at the way that a castle or a walled city works, 
So you've got that walled city and, and then there's all this surrounding territory and there may be some defensible positions, some, some other towns that have smaller walls that could be defended in a pinch. Maybe Ziklag had like a smaller wall or whatever, but it's really the larger principal cities with the larger walls that are the defensible positions. And if you have to, if push comes to shove, you abandon your house, you abandon your herd, you abandon your crops, all of that kind of stuff to save your life, you rush to the defensible walled cities. And so we know that a lot of these that it's listing, they're not walled cities. Some of them are, a lot of them are not walled cities, but they are principal cities in these regions. And then you would have smaller little towns kind of dotting the outliers of that. Think feudalism, think Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they're riding through the countryside and you see one of these peasants out in the dirt, essentially harvesting dirt and then, you know, talking about how they're being oppressed and all of that kind of stuff. It's, if you, if you know, you know, it's silly. Um, but kind of you know, thinking in terms of that, you've got people in the city, they're kind of running the show. You've got the people in the principal towns doing trade and, and, and doing farming. And then you got the outlying towns where you got more peasantry and things like that. And that's really is in a lot of ways how it worked. And, and so that's, that's how you can kind of understand when, when we're talking through a lot of these towns and villages. All right. Verse seven, Ayan, Rimen, Ether, and Ashan, four towns and their villages and all the villages around these towns, as far as Balath, Be'er, Ramah, and the Negev. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the Simeonites, according to its clans. The inheritance of the Simeonites was taken from the share of Judah because Judah's portion was more than they needed. So the Simeonites received their inheritance within the territory of Judah. Verse 10, the third lot came up for Zebulun, according to its clans. The boundary of the inheritance went as far as Sarid. Verse 11, going west, it ran to Merilah touched Dabasheth and extended to the ravine near Jokneam. It turned east from the Sarid toward the sunrise to the territory of Kisloth-Tabor and went on to Dabareth and up to Japhia. Then it continued eastward to Gath-Hefer and Eth-Kazin. It came out at Rimon and turned toward Nia. There the boundary went around the north to Hanathon, and ended at the valley of Iftael. It included Kata, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Bethlehem. There were 12 towns in their villages. These towns and their villages were in the inheritance of Zebulun, according to its clans. All right, with that, we need to turn back to the... Um, we need to turn back to our map here. So I'm going to pull that back up. So we see up here, Zebulon. The confusing thing for me, and I'm sure any reader, is the mention of Bethlehem. And we assume that we know that Bethlehem, here's Jerusalem, like right here, and Bethlehem is right south of that. So we are obviously talking about a different Bethlehem because we know that Zebulun is up here, right there, in the north part of the nation of Israel. <clears throat> and again, you know, 
all of these towns and places, I imagine there is probably a person on planet Earth that has so studied and so lived in Israel and done in-depth studies on all of these things. Um, more than likely, it's not an archaeologist because they don't take the Bible seriously, but maybe there's an archaeologist who has really given themselves to trying to figure out where every single one of these places are. We're 3,500, 3,000 years, 30, actually about 3,400 years removed from when this was written. Some of the names, maybe as early as 3,100 years ago, 3,200 years ago, 2,900 years ago, or whatever, uh, some amount of time has passed between now and when these the names of these places have been given to us. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if there is a person who has set foot in every one of these places and has a really good geographical idea of where every one of these places are. There may be. I'm not one of them. And so I present these maps to you. I'm trying to do the best I can, but with all humility, um, I have not set foot in these places. And so when it's referencing a lot of these things, I'm as ignorant as the next person. So I'm taking the maps. I'm taking what we do know archaeologically. I'm taking what's known. I'm taking different people's maps. I'm taking the scripture and trying to synthesize all that together to do the best I can. But again, I'm giving you the 50,000 foot view of the nation of Israel. I think this, for this part, gives us enough to get along and understand what's actually happening here. But um, even in this shoddy, maybe failed attempt um, in, in trying to present these maps, I think it's important because Again, the book of Joshua is is it's a it's a geogra it's a geography book is what it is. We're we're mostly talking geography, where we've got a little bit of narrative here and there, but most of the central part of this book is geography, and it can be super easy just to gloss over these things if if we're not slowing down and looking at things on the map and taking it seriously. Um, I encourage you, if there's any level of fascination in your heart with this, go deeper. Look up where all of these towns are on a map. See what the archaeologists say. And again, take everything with a bit of a grain of salt. Some of the things we know where they are. We know where Jerusalem is. We know where places like um, uh, Hebron is just because of continuity of inhabitants. Uh, other places, they're long gone. They're you know, they're, they're dirt and dust and rock that we don't even know that there's a thing there yet because they haven't started to excavate and dig up and find if there was an old city there. So th there's just so many places like that, that it is, uh, it is a, a never ending field of study to try and uncover and discover where all of these places are and the geography of this, it's, it's very challenging. So I don't want to get too lost in the weeds, but seeing it because it's so geographically based is important. And I think that doing something to engage our minds with this is super important because Joshua and because of the geography, if you're just reading it and you never look at a map, it can be very difficult to find any meaning in all this. It's like, okay, I'm just reading names of towns and places and, you know, every like 20th name, I'm like, oh, I've, I've seen that somewhere else in the Bible, right? It can be very easy to get disconnected from this. And if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you know that 
I, I truly believe that every word, Jesus says that not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away of his word. Now, he might have specifically meant the law, the first five books of the Bible, but I, I believe that Jesus is speaking of the entirety of the Old Testament, not the smallest crossing of a T or dotting of an I, literally is what he means in the Hebrew language by jot or tittle. Uh, not one of those will pass away. And so when we're reading through these things, and again, if I'm not looking that up on a map, if I'm not trying to understand them on a map, it can be difficult. But if, as I go through these, it can be really easy just to start to gloss over it. And I'm like, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. But I always like to ask, Lord, why do you care? Why did you take the time to, instead of just including a drawn map in the Bible, suppose that could have been easy enough. Why did you take the time to name all of these places? Why was it important to you? And I think that's a powerful question to ask the Lord anytime we read through Scripture. I think it can reframe how and why we read God's Word. Because if we come of it edit from that perspective. So often we want to read God's word saying, how does this apply to me today? And that can be a perfectly valid, fine way to read scripture. I don't think it's the primary way we should read scripture. I think the primary way we should read scripture is we should read as much of it as we can consume on a regular basis and lock it away in our hearts. And the reason that I encourage you to read each book that we're going through 10 times in 10 weeks is it is amazing how it just permeates you and just gets in your heart when you're doing this, you know, rinse and repeat over and over and over again with one book. It really is amazing how it gets in you and you really do lock it away in your heart. You will find yourself accidentally talking to God about the things that you read. But I think the one of the best ways to read scripture no matter how much you're consuming, how fast you're going through it or what it is, is instead of asking the Lord, and again, I think this is, is a valid way, but I don't think it's the best way. Instead of asking the Lord, how does this apply to me today? What do I do with this? Ask the Lord, why does this matter to you? Lord, why was this important to you to put it in? Because I want to understand if like the Lord thought it was so important that not one dotting of an eye, crossing a T, not one jot or tittle is going to pass away. Why was this so important? Why did you put this in here? I want to understand from your perspective, God, why did you put all of these things here? I may not get an answer. I really may not. Sometimes, sometimes, and this really happens, the Lord, when you start asking those questions, you start looking at scripture that way, the Lord will lead you down a path where you gain revelation and understanding as to why it's there and to why it matters. Parts that maybe you thought before didn't matter, you find out why it matters and why they're there. Other times you may not get an answer. Sometimes, and and I can believe this, sometimes these things may have been put there so that one Christian, maybe even a non-Christian archaeologist, can find that town and find the, the reason that the Lord put that there Thousands of years later, maybe the Lord had it for just that one person at that one time. Sometimes he does that. I don't know. Like David says, his ways are far above my ways. But if he put it in there, I want to know why. And I want to ask why. And I want to keep reading it for that reason. I pray you will too. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. And I can't wait to see you next time.
Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.